Well, take your Bible and open it up tonight to Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4. As we just continue on learning from the testimonies of Old Testament men and women. And tonight we're going to look at Esther. And from her, we're going to learn some truths about God's providential purpose for your life. This morning we looked at Romans 8, 28 as it applied to Job and God's deep work in our lives and the difficulties that we face. But we're going to see Romans 8:28 at work in Esther's life and in our lives, bringing us to a place that we can be used to the glory of God. Now, I have to give you a confession tonight. In 50 years of preaching through the Bible, I've never preached on Esther. I don't know why, but I just never have. One of the greatest sermons I ever heard was David Miller preaching on Esther, but I never have. God is never mentioned in Esther, but his fingerprints are all over it. And to understand the book of Esther, you've got to read it in the context of the Old Testament and especially the Babylonian captivity and everything that God was doing in the lives of his children. And so we're going to look at Queen Esther, and I'm just going to have to tell you a lot of the story of the book of Esther, but we're going to look at some important passages together tonight. If Esther was to give us her testimony, first thing that she would tell us is that God has a purpose for your life. A lot of us don't believe that. We don't believe that there's anything significant or great that God would do in and through our lives. But I want you to know that Jesus died on the cross to redeem you unto himself. And he didn't pay the price for your sins through that brutal death on the cross just so that you could coast through life. He indwelt you with his spirit. He has given you a spiritual gift. God has a purpose for your life. Now, as you go through the first part of the, the book of Esther, you, you see something about God's providential purpose, how he works in different ways to bring us to a place that we are usable for his glory. In fact, in the first uh, uh, three chapters of Esther, you see the unseen but sure hand of God bringing Esther to the place where she's going to be used in remarkable ways. You, you see the providential work of God in making her queen. It starts back in chapter 1. Let me give you the setting. The children of Israel were carried uh, captive by uh, Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon. And God said that they would be in captivity 70 years. And the purpose is to turn their hearts back to the Lord. 
But because of the great wickedness of of the Babylonians. You remember Daniel as he stands before Belteshar and there's the handwriting on the wall, mene, mene, uh, farsal, tike, and nobody could read it. And they call Daniel and Daniel says, it says, uh, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting and the kingdom will be taken from you this night. And the Medes and the Persians make a sneak attack, and they conquer Babylon. And now the Jews are on, in captivity under the Medes and the Persians. And the king is Xerxes, Xerxes and he rules a kingdom that goes from India across Central Asia, across what is today Iraq and Iran and Syria and Lebanon. He was the most powerful man in all of the world. His queen was named Ashtar. And uh, uh, the king called for Ashtar to come to him. But Ashtar was vain. She was beautiful, and she said, I'm just not going to come. Now, there was one thing that you didn't do to the king of the Medes and the Persians. You didn't disobey them. And so, uh, Xerxes calls his wise men together and said, what shall I do? And they said, Vashtar can no longer be the queen, and you'll just assign her someplace else to live. And you need to call out all of the beautiful virgins of the kingdom to come to find one who will please you to be the king. Now this is a gigantic beauty contest. All of the beautiful virgins are gathered before King Xerxes. One of them is Esther. He doesn't know that she's a Jew. She's just a beautiful young woman. And God in his providence so moves in the heart of Xerxes. Proverbs says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he turns it wherever he will. And Xerxes chooses beautiful Esther to be his wife and to be the queen. Now in that providence of raising her up to be the king, you have to see the purpose of God's will for Esther. She doesn't know this. She doesn't have any idea what God is orchestrating all of this to do. But I want you to know God was putting her in a critical position where as you read the rest of the book of Esther, she is going to pay, play the key role in saving the Jews from Mordecai, I mean from Haman's hateful and cruel uh, plan to kill Mordecai, her uncle, and to kill all of the Jews in the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. She is there 
providentially. God has orchestrated the circumstances and placed her where she is, and he's put her there for a purpose far greater than herself. And I want you to know the same is true about you and I. God works in and through our lives to put us in places, to put us in positions that he can use us in ways that we can never imagine. So let me just give you three things about God's will. Can I? Number one, God wants you to know his will more than you want to know it. He doesn't play games. He doesn't hold his will out like a carrot stick and you reach out and he draws it away. I want you to know God's will is all about his glory. It's all about people coming to know Jesus. It's all about people coming and seeing what the Lord has done in the lives of his people. And so if you are earnest and if you cry out to him, God, why do you have me here in this place at this time? What is it that you're wanting to do in and through my life? I want you to know God will speak. He wants you to know his will, his purpose for your life. Secondly, he guides you one step at a time. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if God just took us and, and, and I mean, on a big screen like this, he just played out all of our lives, everything that was going to happen to us and what, how it was going to work out. But it's not that way. Remember when God called Abram out of Ur of Chaldee? And he made a covenant with him, and he said, I'll give you a land and a nation and a descendant who will be the Messiah. But he didn't tell him where that land was. And so it was just a matter of Abraham obeying God daily, going exactly where God said to go. Sometimes it looked like it was going nowhere, but it ended up somewhere that was the place. And so it is in our lives. Can I tell you the most important thing right now is that you do everything that God tells you to do. I don't know if I want to teach Sunday school class. You better find out about the will of God. I want you to know, last week, I just was overwhelmed by the number of men who were here at Vacation Bible School. I really was. And you know what I thought? Man, not only is it good to see men, it's good for children to see men in the place of leadership. You just do what God tells you to today. And he'll tell you tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. And you just walk in obedience to him. And then the third thing is God's just looking for willing hearts. 
Lives that are surrendered to him. Lives that just simply say, I'm here for one purpose, and that's the glory of God. That people might come to know Jesus mighty to save. And so Esther would say to us, God has a purpose for your life. The second thing that Esther would say to us is that uh, all of us are given divine moments to make a difference. I mean, Esther is in the perfect place in God's time to uh, have Esther go to the king Xerxes and change and save the Jews. Mordecai points that out to Esther in Esther chapter 4. I want you to read what he says. We'll, we'll just start reading in verse 12. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. That they had to communicate between go-betweens because Esther's in the palace. <coughs> then Mordecai told them to reply, to Esther, do not think to yourself that, the, in, that in the king's palace you will escape any more than the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews or arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether are not you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. He, he's, he's simply saying to her, God has you where you are for something huge. If you keep quiet, if you don't do it, if you say, well, I've done, God will find somebody else to do it. But you've come to the kingdom right now for this purpose. Now, I want you to know life is filled with divine appointments. For us as believers, there's no accidents or coincidences that happen in life. There's the providence of God at work. Can I give you two examples? Uh, when I was at Siloam, we were uh, working in uh, fellowship or, or in, in partnership with the Jerusalem Fellowship, which would have been the first Baptist church of Jerusalem. They didn't call them churches because the church was Catholic, and so they were assemblies. So we went worked with the, Jew, with the uh, Jerusalem Assembly. We did a lot of different work, but I went over and did leadership training for them. And the first time I went over to do it, I went to their service that morning. And the pastor invited me home for lunch. And so I went home for lunch with them. I didn't know it, but they were celebrating his father Zevi's 90th birthday. Now, I want you to know Zevi is probably one of the most powerful men I've ever met. He was as a young boy, a Jew in Poland, when the Nazis came in. When they drove up to his farm, his father sent him 
to the woods. He watched as the rest of his family was carried away. Eight years old. And for the rest of the war, he lived alone in the woods foraging to survive. All of his family was lost in the Holocaust. He was the only survivor. After the war, he was one of the first Jews to go to Israel, the new nation. He joined the Israeli army. His job was across the Kidron Valley. They had a cable running, and he would crawl across that cable and lay mines for the Palestinians that were trying to exterminate them and then crawl back over. This was a brave guy. One day, a Danish woman who spoke not a word of Hebrew was walking through an Israeli army camp just handing out Bibles. Couldn't say anything to anybody, just handing out Bibles. Zevi was irreligious, never had seen a Bible. She handed him a Bible, and he read it, and he came to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And he planted the first Christian church in Israel. And they tried to intimidate him. They tried everything. Listen, when you've been through what he's been through, nothing's going to bother you. That's I mean, it's the bravest man I've ever seen in all of my life. And I think, here's this Scandinavian lady who God had in the right place at the right time to hand a Bible to a man who'd never seen one before. And thousands upon thousands of people have come to know Jesus because of that. There are times that God has us where we are for those kinds of appointments. When I go out to eat, I always try to show great respect for the waitress or waitress that's waiting on me. And I'll just simply say, you know, before we eat, we're going to pray. Is there anything that I can pray for you? And I get all kinds of responses. I mean, I, 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 you get some that, boy, just open up. Lord, pray for me and my child. Pray that I'll get a job that'll support us. And some just kind of know, wait, 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 pray, 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 I'll pass my test. You know, they, 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 nobody's ever said anything like that. And I do that. And do that. I've gone to Albany to the seminary branch up there. And I took the faculty members out to eat that night at Outback. And young waitress came by and 
took her order and I said, you know, before we, uh, before we uh, eat, we always pray. Is there anything we can pray for you? And she said, would you pray for me and my child? My husband just left us. And I said, listen, we, we prayed before we eat. We're going to pray right now. We just stopped and prayed for her. She brought us our water and Diet Cokes. And when she did, she just kind of sat down in the booth. And she said, why did y'all do that? And I said, because we're followers of Jesus. And she said, but I'm Jewish. I said, man, that's wonderful. My Savior's a Jew. <laughs> and she said, really? And we shared the gospel. And she got up. And she brought her order back. And she sat back down. And we shared the gospel. And that night, she trusted Jesus. And through the guys up there, we linked her with the Messianic congregation and kept up with her, how she was growing and becoming stable in the Lord. I mean, there are just divine appointments that you and I have every day. You don't know what's going on in lives. we got to keep our hearts and our eyes open. Why does God have us where we are? And God will use us if we're ready to be used. And if we're not, he'll use somebody else. I, I want you to know that's true for the church. God wants to use Win Baptist Church to make a huge difference. But if you're not ready, he'll use another church. We're all given divine moments to make a difference. Who knows that you've come to win for a time like this is what Mordecai would say. The third thing that Esther would tell us is that prayer and fasting brings help and hope from the Lord. Now, Mordecai says you come to the kingdom so you can go to the king. There's only one problem. You just couldn't go to the king. The queen couldn't just go to the king without being invited. To go into the presence of the king uninvited was a death sentence unless he held out the golden scepter to him. Esther knew that. There is a risk, there is a danger, and there is courage needed to do God's will. And she knew that simply praying about it wasn't enough. And so here's, here's how she responds. Then Esther, verse 15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all of the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, uh, nights or day, and I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. She knew the fervency and the earnesty and the intensity of prayer 
necessary to do the will of God. I mean, she's risking it all. I want to do it. I'm going to intercede. I understand why I've come to the kingdom for a time like this. But I want you to know I need people who are on their faces before God. Everything else loses interest to them. Nothing matters but their praying. And everything else that happens in the book of Ruth hinges on this. We don't fast a whole lot, do we? Fast for us is fast food. Have you been so desperate for God to move and do something? Have you been so desperate for God to save souls? To break through, bring life-shattering revival to his church? Simple prayers won't do it. It's hearts that are hungry for God more than anything else. The fourth thing that uh, Esther would tell us is that uh, you can be confident in doing the will of God because of the promises of God. Haman was a wicked man, ambitious man. And because Mordecai would not show deference to him, his anger burned not only at Mordecai, but all of the Jews. He came up with a scheme and got the king Xerxes to make an edict that all of the Jews in the kingdom would be killed. But they can't be. They're in the 70 years of captivity. And God has promised them that they would return from the 70 years to Jerusalem with a new heart to seek him. In fact, before the 70 years of captivity began, God gave them a promise. Jeremiah 29, 11. I have plans for you, declares the Lord, for welfare and not for evil, for a future and hope. He says, you're going into captivity. It's going to be a hard, long one, but I, I have a purpose for it. <laughs> it's not to hurt you, it's to bring you back to me so you'll have a future as my people and a hope of the coming of Messiah. I hear a lot of people read Jeremiah, I mean, um, to, to read Jeremiah 29, 11, and they say, man, I like that promise. I'm going to claim that. And they don't realize the context that God says, through the hard times, I'm providentially working to change your heart. And so Esther goes into the presence of the king, and he holds out the golden scepter. And she reveals who she is 
of who Mordecai, who had saved him from a plot, is. And God, through that providential placing of Esther, Esther willing to do the will of God regardless of the risk, it is the salvation of the Jews. You can be confident, Esther would tell us, in doing God's will because of God being in control. I, I want you to know, nothing or no one can thwart the will of God. A wicked Haman cannot stop the will of God. In fact, God turns the table so that the gallows that, 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 that Haman had prepared to hang Mordecai, King Xerxes has Haman hung on his own gallows. God is in control. You don't have to worry whatever it costs to do the will of God. Can, can I give you a verse? Hebrews 2.8, that great passage about Jesus, and it says about Jesus that God the Father is putting everything in subject under his feet. <coughs> now, in putting everything in subject to him, he left nothing outside of his control. When Jesus came to the disciples before giving the Great Commission, he said to them, All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. You know what he's saying? I'm in control. <laughs> you don't have to worry. The will of God is going to be done because of the power of God. But then there's a sixth thing that Esther would tell us. And that is that when you do the will of God, it not only affects the present, but it also affects the future. God used Esther to save the Jews from destruction. That the plan of God would be carried out and that the Jews would go back to Israel, to Jerusalem. That was the present. God used her to save them. But because of the influence of Esther's life, her influence upon King Xerxes, when the 70 years of captivity are over, he willingly lets the Jews return to Jerusalem. The first wave is in the book of Ezra. And they come back and Zerubbabel rebuilds the temple. The second wave is in the book of Nehemiah where they rebuild the wall. But I want you to know something. Nehemiah comes to King Xerxes 
and asked permission to go back to Jerusalem to build the wall. So great was Esther's influence that he not only let Nehemiah go back, but he gave him the material and the money to rebuild the wall. God used a pagan king to restore the testimony of the glory of God. How important it is, is it for you to do the will of God? Matters right now. Matters on the number of people who come to know Jesus. It matters to the spiritual health and vitality of a church right now. But can I tell you something? It means everything in the world to your children and grandchildren. And generations to come. One day Jesus... Ask a question. So why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? He said, that's a contradiction. Well, it costs too much. There's a risk in doing that. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? To say that he's Lord means one thing, obedience and surrender. God has a will for your life in this church, in this community. Do you know how many people God has called out of this church and sent to missions or ministry? It's mind-boggling. I asked about that, got three pages of names. think it's important for us to be in the will of God to do everything he wants us to do to seek him with all of our hearts to cry out to him desperately Esther would say I didn't have any idea what God would do in my life I was just a little Jewish girl Minded my own business. And the next thing I know, I'm standing before a king, and he's saying, you're the one. And my uncle says, who knows but that you've come to the kingdom for a time like this. And this little Jewish girl, changes the course of history. And that's what he wants to do in your life and my life.